Speakity speak speak mix speaking. You're listening to the Dalsimer Geek Podcast. My name's Stephen Seifert. I'm here with Dan Landrum and Aaron O'Rourke. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Man, I am, and Dan. <laughs> I'm pumped today. I am pumped up. Awesome. Do people know what that means, pumped up? I think. It was an old Saturday Night Live skit, I think. Well, I think it might have been around with basketballs, too. I'm pumped up like a basketball. Yeah. Oh. If you, we thump your head, will it make that unique ringing sound? I think of the, the shoes, like the, the pumped up like, kicks. That's oh. around in the early 90s. Why did those pump you know, up? I forget. I don't was know that there was a purpose. Support? I have no idea. Okay. There were Nike pumps. There were yeah. there were basketballs. Well, shoes. we yeah. right oh. before we hit record today, we about we were about ready to talk about like about <laughs> like six different things. And one thing was I posted on Facebook. I said, "Hey people, I need some new songs to work on. You know, give me titles." And um so you asked me this morning how that's been going, and I mentioned Sweet Child of Mine. That's the first one I've been yeah. working on. And that's then awesome. you said... Well, yeah. Um, in my family, Sweet Child of Mine is, is kind of an interesting song. Uh, my aunt requested Child of Mine be played at her funeral. Not to be confused with Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. Um that get, that didn't really get communicated well uh, to awesome. the musician. Um, There's a great flute player playing the the funeral. <laughs> That's awesome. And um, and she worked up an arrangement of Guns N' Roses, "Sweet Child of Mine" That's for so the great. funeral. It's <laughs> just really <laughs> wonderful. So great. Yeah, yeah, good deal. It's you know Jeff Hames, <laughs> I think, is the first person I heard play it on Dulcimer. Ah. Oh, okay. And it works pretty well. Oh, yeah. I can see how that would work pretty well. And Jeff Hames has this cool right-hand thing that I want to try to get. Um, where he... He sometimes... How does he do that? I could be wrong about this, but I think he sometimes doubles the rate of alternation of his right hand just for certain passages you know yeah and he'll play uh kind of like in a rock and roll kind of style do a, a bunch of outs out 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 sometimes or something anyway oh, okay. i want to explore some new right hand stuff i'm kind of pumped i want to be a rock cool. and roll guitar player for a few weeks what got you fired up pumped excuse me about uh if you're pumped and fired oh Wow, I uh, what got what got you pumped up about new arrangements? Well, well, mm, well. First of all, I think I've been depressed for three years, but since December, I've been doing a lot better. And then my son said to me a week ago, Dad. I mean, he just said this out of nowhere. He said, "You know, you have to play new stuff, or people are just going to get tired of hearing you." Wow. <laughs> and I said, have you been watching me online or something? He said, nope. So I just decided not to ask him any more questions. I just said, you're right. 
I, I don't know why he said that. So I think shortly after that, I just got online and posted this. And another reason I'm pumped is um, I quit playing Chromatic about three years ago, I think. I mean, I know I did it a few times, but this last couple of weeks, I've been playing it every morning, trying to getting back into my chromatic jazz exercises and stuff. And it's funny how I just let, let it go, but I've been into it and um, I'm excited. So, so what are what are some of those chromatic jazz exercises that you're doing? B e a d g c f b v e v a f d v g f b e a d g c f h b d f g f f That sounds annoying. I know I'm I'm probably manic, but listen, the most common root movement, especially in jazz, is a fourth. That's five half steps. That means. Quite often in jazz, the next chord, the upcoming chord, is a fourth away from where you already are. So if you're on a D, the next chord is often a G. If you're on a C, the next chord is often an F. So you practice all kinds of stuff around a cycle of fourths, which prepares you to play stuff where the next thing is often a fourth away. So that means notes on the single string, notes across the string, and then I do the major chord shapes, minor, diminished, augmented, and then the sevenths and the nines, elevens, thirteens, I start working on arpeggios, uh, descending bebop runs. So this is stuff that I was a failure at on piano. And every, probably every two years, I get all jazzed up and and I make progress. And the thing is, is when I go to play Wildwood Flower, I'm more capable. And right now, I'm really trying to give a lot of attention to F, B flat, E flat, A flat, D flat, G flat, A sharp, D sharp, G sharp, G sharp, F sharp, because those are chords we don't play a lot. And I'm excited to be excited because I haven't been excited for a while. And I'm probably manic. I will look that up after the show. (laughs) This uh, kind of along those lines, but you started working up an arrangement of uh, crazy a while ago. And I saw it on Facebook Live, and then I heard you do a little bit of it in person, but I haven't heard you play the whole thing. Yeah. What I've heard of it was awesome. Have you you finished that arrangement yet? I don't finish arrangements. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) No, you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I get it. If I finish an arrangement, that means I guess I stop playing it. I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, it's it's always evolving. Or sure. I, I, I'm too bored. I can't play the same thing over and over. All right, here's the definition. Uh, in psychiatry, it's suffering from mania, the state of abnormally elevated or irritable mood, arousal, and or energy levels, and two, of or pertaining to someone who exhibits mania or craziness. Wicked. Yeah. Nah. I don't think uh, I'm manic. <laughs> I mean, it's been... Uh, I don't think I'm suffering. Nah. I think you're kind of a genius oh please and that but it has its downside you know bef- kind of before certain phrases is, uh, <laughs> that was a qualifier you're a kind of genius that's the way i meant to say that you're kind of one of my best friends yeah 
I I think this stuff always I filter it through Howard Gardner's seven intelligences, which I learned about years and years ago. That, and I, I don't think I could even repeat what they all are now. But people who are really high in one often are a little bit deficient in some other one. I'm and, I'm not like that. It's I'm thankful. I mean, there we know people who are very much like that. Well, I mean, there's all the way to the point of the savant, but I don't think any of us are that. We work pretty hard to do what we do. It just I don't think it's just like natural, as is evident by the three hour rehearsal we had last yeah. night. <laughs> yeah, and and Aaron walked in this morning. You guys get together to... with Stephen Humphreys. Yeah. yeah, but the amount of work that's going into this concert is is pretty intense because mm-hmm. the material's hard. So yeah. Matter of fact, you know how we've had this conversation before where people talk about, wow, that's just so easy for you. Yeah. And then, you know, we know where this is going to go if we have the conversation now. Right. We don't need to. But when you're in the middle of working that hard, I'm a, I just like, no, not only is that wrong, <laughs> it's just, it's completely wrong because often like when we're working as hard as we were on that stuff i'm thinking i'm not even capable of doing this you know but i've done it in the past and i know i did it some i did it so well yeah i'm gonna keep pushing there's there's one thing um that right now i'm not actually capable of doing and that's the thing uh that i'm playing with humphreys on guitar thing yeah where um i'm supposed to flat pick a solo (laughs) around 270 on the metronome it's really fast at the speed he's playing it i don't i play finger style guitar a lot and i flat pick dulcimer but i don't flat pick guitar uh, and that's different you don't yeah. mean 135 either you mean or is it no it's one two three four one two three four so the I song might, goes i would yeah. probably call that 135 and you're calling it 270 one Man, what does that matter mm-hmm. it's fast and it's no hard. it matters because yeah. it helps me put it in context I oh, okay. think that I would have a hard time consistently flat picking Mountain Dulcimer, especially if there was cross picking in it at one thirty five. Mm-hmm. But I see, you know, why Humphreys said it was two seventy has to do with the number of notes that he's playing as well. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, technically it might be something else. That particular song we were counting it last night. It goes one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven one two three four one two three four one two three four five six seven. It's got all these little changes in mm-hmm. the middle of it. Dan, I'm gonna give you some money, and I'm gonna let you choose. Would you like ten dimes or four quarters? Your choice. Well, if I'm three, I want ten dimes. If I'm older and I don't want to carry around as much stuff, I'm going to take four quarters. It makes a difference, right? It does make a difference. That's awesome. If I'm want, if I'm time. wanting to, <laughs> if, if I'm wanting to make something that's a circle, if I want to like make a design out of it, I'm going to use the ten dimes because I have better ways to define what my edges are. Ooh, that works pretty well for what we're talking about. That's metaphorical. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, so it's right. Well, what I'm the only reason I brought it up is it helps me relate because if he was playing, what did you say? Two, what? 270 in the ballpark. If you were playing 270, according to the way I usually think of it, you're moving twice as fast as I could even possibly go, you know. You know, 
Actually, I have just like a short uh, twenty-second little practice clip. Oh, can you my play phone. that here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Play, um, yeah. Put it up to the mic there. Okay, so. Hey, just two times. Yeah, how's the time so. Yeah. Plus, oh yeah. Right. So hit the beginning of that again and make it really loud, but then stop it before it starts playing. Uh, now, listen to the metronome. Stop. Here so that was the 270 that Humphreys would be referring to because right. it's helping him to stay mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Hey, that sounds insane. Yeah. And also, you're because of the the kind of uh, I don't know what you the, the odd rhythmic feel. You're going to have to accent some of your your ends or your ands. Yeah. And it, yeah. And the faster you're going on an instrument, maybe you don't want to be flat picking on the more interesting that gets. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, the the part that I'm flat picking over is not one of the uh, uh, the more difficult um, metered well, sections. Um, the unfortunate part <laughs> to that is uh, going up against what uh, what Humphreys is doing, where he's he's filling in a lot of space mm-hmm. melodically. I mean, he's playing what Chris Thiele played on mandolin. And he's actually playing all the notes that Thiele played, which is really impressive. Improvising something um, right after uh, him and trying to leave space, it feels a little bit like the bottom just falls out. So I I am leaving space in the right. solo, but I feel like it's I have to pick and choose where I'm going to do that and where I can put I in these little that. bursts to actually do justice well, to the song, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's a second issue at play there also is that you are providing sort of like the the rhythmic posts right, for this right, thing yeah. and when when he takes those out hammer dulcimer is just not really good at that unless you go down to some bass thing well right. and also i could just imagine if i was in that scenario i would want a boost of volume if i'm going to jump to a guitar solo. oh yeah yeah and you don't necessarily you may not have that how many times have you seen bands play? Seriously, I mean, not, the, the top end they have people who do it all the time. But I'm thinking Dulcimer festivals when somebody does go to something cool on a guitar, mm-hmm. you know, and they flat pick it and it just doesn't stand out. Yeah. Well, even a rock uh, concert, it seems like the vocals and the lead guitars are often not loud enough because everything else is too loud already. Well, yeah. I mean, there is the temptation to overplay, and that's another thing that makes me nervous because the uh, the first time that we practiced it last night, I felt like when I did go to uh, to my little solo that I wanted to overplay just for the sake of volume. And um, uh, if if I overplay trying to on this piece, uh, I'm gonna fall apart totally. You know, sometimes you have to, you really do have to say, um, I'm not going to play the way I really want to play, but I'm going to play in a way that gets the job done and it'll maybe be a foundation for the next time we perform this or something. You know what I mean? Like sometimes, yeah, well, sometimes yeah. I, I choose, like for instance, 
And that song, I would want to be going, you know, maybe lots of notes, but I might actually end up going, and not really being happy with it, but if you have to survive, you know? Well, I, one personality disorder that you and I share, of many probably, <clears throat> that I don't think Aaron has to the same degree is... And and you you'll you'll probably by nature just disagree with this. So <laughs> just go ahead. It's taken me, and maybe I'm not even there yet, a long time to just go. Not being the control freak while I'm playing actually makes me play better. It's so if I, I I know I've had this tendency if I feel like something is is pushing or dragging or whatever to play a little louder and play with a little more force. Yeah. But it tonally everything suffers, and even the overall feel of it suffers. And so, the best that you can. <laughs> I started to say a sentence, and what came to my mind was Kenny Rogers. The best, the best that you that can, you can hope, hope for is to, is die, to die in, in your sleep. sleep. <laughs> I thought of that too, dude. Isn't that funny? I uh, instantly was like not thinking about what you were talking about. I know, I me saw too. Kenny Rogers' face. <laughs> but I, I, I would, agree with you, and I, yeah. I love. See, there's a beautiful thing going on here. And the beautiful thing is you get next to Humphrey's greatness and me getting next to Aaron's greatness. It's really good for our growth. It's so good. Oh, yeah. That's true. No doubt. I'm thankful for it. And think about these people that are just live in isolation, you know. I mean, I, I want more... I want more. You mean the United States? <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I assure Sorry. everyone, I'm looking at Dan right now on a webcam, and he looks a lot better than he sounds. He looks beautiful, <laughs> really. Yeah, I am. Wait a minute. Let's get back on being thankful. I want to play. Like Aaron said something a while back. He said he might write a part for me to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really want to do that. I'm even willing to pay you to to get going on it. <laughs> no, you don't have to do that. I want I want you to give me something. I want you to say, do this. Like, oh. Like, what if we, you know, that thing, that partita you just worked on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What if you had me play that and then you wrote something else or vice versa, you know? And That's very doable. Together. Uh, funny thing is, you you actually wrote part of that. Yeah, do yeah, you have you that in your pocket? <laughs> um, you want to share just a little piece of that? You yeah, sure. You can get to it. So what? What? It, while he's looking for that from the podcast a few weeks ago, when we, you know, you you laid out that little idea, and then we worked on it. You're so arrogant, Dan. <laughs> Why? I'm kidding. Okay, keep oh. going. Uh, anyway, he sort of he incorporated a little bit of that into something he was working on. Yeah. Uh, and here's a little. Is that the theme? No. Theme actually happens a good bit later. <laughs> um... Uh. He's finding it on his phone right now. 
I don't recall any of that. That kind of, I remember we did something kind of like that. <laughs> you know, in Nashville, I would get 50% writer's credit on your piece. <laughs> oh, I didn't <laughs> nice. think about the legalities. But all that. I want, <laughs> all I want is next time we're sampling scotch. I just yeah. don't want to feel guilty for drinking your fine scotch. I just want to be free of feeling like I'm drinking your money. You don't have to. Most of my scotch was a gift anyway. Okay. So, yeah. I don't drink the stinky stuff. Yeah, I can't actually <laughs> afford the scotch. <laughs> yeah. Dan, what are you uh what are you dealing with? What technically what what is how are you being stretched on this project? Do you have to come up with think, some new thing or something? Well, I have to be careful. There's there's two pieces that are just I set the tempo, and if I set it even, you know, just a few ticks faster, I'm going to be in trouble. Or one, if I don't set it fast enough, yeah, right. then it doesn't feel right once you get into it. So so that's interesting. Well, wait, uh, when you played with bands like Yanni and stuff like that, would do a lot of these pro bands have a metronome that somebody oh is hearing goodness. first? You know what? If you guys remind me before the next podcast, I've got some rehearsal recordings yeah. from oh. my headphones, which are kind of fun to listen to, you know, yeah, but, but yeah. to give you an idea, it's not just a click that you're hearing in your head. It's a whole track and it's not a track of the song. It's, it's a full on drum beat. Huh? That, yeah. Do you ever hear somebody giving you directions and stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely. Really? Yeah, on these on these recordings. Yeah, I snuck. I probably shouldn't have done it, but I was recording my headphone output just because I thought it would be interesting to listen to later well, and, and I, for practice. When I had to play with Wilma Jensen, she was playing pipe organ. She wanted me to set a whole bunch of the tempos, and I did it from the gut. And part of our rehearsals were how accurate was my gut, and it got better. But when the concert came, I set one of the parts a little fast. And it was, you know... I think it's easy to do. So I maybe could have had a metronome in my ear or a visual reference or something. Well, yeah, I think it, it's kind of funny in live performance settings. Um, it's it's almost kind of expected in rehearsal, I think, when you talk about, okay, so how fast are we playing it? Okay, so when we're on stage and we've you know got the nerves and the energy, it'll probably just be a few hairs faster. Right. And so you practice for that and you anticipate right. it. But there's this spot in the middle of one of the songs where it's going. That I have to do lightly, really lightly in the background because it's kind of just a wash with Humphreys playing the lead on top of. Oh, yeah. That's and, and on Hammer Dulcimer, you can't execute that with your arm muscles. It has to be fingertips. The thing about fingertips, though, is they exhaust as well. And this goes on for a long time. And as you tend to exhaust, at least mentally, this is the way it, maybe it's not this way for everybody, but you feel yourself starting to drag. And when you feel yourself starting to drag, it's the large muscles that want to push the, the heavy beats to make sure you're in the right spot. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to then switch over from fingertips back to the large muscles and you exhaust in seconds then. Hmm. Because you can pull speed off from your large muscles quickly. I mean, you wouldn't want to punch somebody with your fingers. You punch, you know, with the big muscles and you have to punch fast. 
but you can't just go, you know, punching. So, well, yeah. I think what a lot of people don't realize, like when you go hear a musician and they sound amazing, like I, I remember hearing Bella Fleck at one point and I was just like, this sounds perfect. Or I heard Alison Krauss's band, the Kentucky Theater once, and they just sounded amazing. One thing those guys are benefiting from is they're playing with people every day mm -hmm. for months and months. And there's a kind of a, there's a kind of quality your, your musicianship takes on that I think only comes from that crucible of being with people and playing all the time, you know? I completely agree. Mm -hmm. and, there's and another thing. Go ahead. And in order to have that, you got to be a part of some music machine that's rolling forward every day. And so you guys getting together gives you a little bit of that. I wish we had it more. Uh, yeah. Well, it's certainly it's time just flies where we're doing it. Yeah. Uh, another thing that happens on a song that Humphreys and I arranged ten years ago and recorded uh, the Bach Convention Number One in C. Bum da 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 bum bum ba da da bum. But we do it. Doubled. And I transcribed it from, pulled parts out from a harpsichord arrangement. And so Humphreys has the low part and I have the high part. So there's a lot of going on and it has to be really tight. So we've probably played that over the course of the last couple of weeks six times. You know, I had a chance to play it six, maybe eight times together. Doesn't seem like much, but that's really all you can get because it takes real time to do it. Every time it's gotten better. Every single time it's gotten better. And then the last time we did it last night, we were both playing. And it, Steve noticed it immediately. He's like, that's the right dynamics. I mean, yeah. both of us were playing with yeah. half as much effort, same speed we've been doing it. Everything was quieter. And I noticed I was kind of watching Aaron listening too. You know, and you look like you enjoyed that last one. Mm -hmm. well, actually, because you got upset at me for looking over at you oh, well, the time the before, before that, so I just made a conscious effort to not look up at anybody. Aaron, what were you playing? <laughs> oh, uh, nothing. I'm sitting that one out. Well, see, here's the situation I often find myself in. I would be sitting with those two guys. They're playing Bach fast. Is that the deal? Mm -hmm. yeah. I'd be over here in a dulcimer. I would feel like I'm plucking on a rubber band that's stretched across the box i'm somehow supposed to match this crazy big thing with what feels like a piece of dental floss tight it's not just the instrument though that's <laughs> me watching humphreys play that chris Thiele mandolin line you know i'm thinking okay i'm done <laughs> there's a little bit of it and i, I want to hear but that I, but i watched him you know, was was counting because I just kind of want to learn how to count it too. When they were working on it last night, mm -hmm. and I realized, oh, I started kind of just tapping it out. I'm like, nah, it's just another thing. Yeah, just have to learn it. Yeah, there, there as was... I said, the, the the thing that that bugs me is the not to. I don't want to criticize one of my favorite bands because I love them. Oh, but... is the timing issues in that? Yeah, oh, in yeah. the recording, and I I love this recording of of Nickel Creek. But the rhythm part has always bugged me. Yeah. I've n even before I tried playing it with with Humphreys, I never liked the accompaniment in this one tiny section, in this one turnaround. And I think it's because of uh, uh, in this one section where it goes to a uh, a bar of eight or 
two bars too far four, two fours probably. really um but the melody resolves in kind of a weird place um it resolves on the i think the fifth beat mm-hmm. if you're thinking of it in eight um which would but, have it still be on an up right if the guitar had still been doing the guitar does tell me if i'm wrong is doing like and then he goes to goes to downstrokes when it changes it's it's something weird it's it, he straightens it out more than the than to be straighter than the melody actually is and so this morning i i made the decision to think of it a little bit more like an irish rhythm player where i'm, I'm not going to be too attached to those dominant beats looking at what happens on the one and the three um exclusively and uh and i was able to find it and lock in a lot easier this morning abandoning what was going on on the recording i love that you guys are working together regularly this thing that i used to do with david schnaufer was so valuable he would call and say hey why don't you come over tomorrow okay what time well i don't know get here about eight o'clock if you want so i'd get there at eight i'd go upstairs we'd play for like one or two hours and usually it was one song it would he would be like let's work on that black mountain rag we'd play that thing for like one or two hours and he'd say, let's go down to Bongo Java and get a little breakfast. We get back maybe, you know, 1130. We'd play until 430. <laughs> Say one song, you know. Mm-hmm. Why don't you play that again? He always used to say that. <laughs> uh, every once in a while, we'd stand up for a break. He was into throwing tops, so we'd throw tops around his apartment. Let's play that some more, you know. Hey, you want to go get something to eat? We'd go get dinner. We'd come back. Let's play that a little more, maybe an hour and a half, and then it was time to go home. And I, I think people might... It's There's so many good things you get from playing one tune with somebody else all day. Oh, yeah. And it was like, let's get the book out. Let's let's listen to this cassette. All right, come up with an ending. I'll be, I'm going outside for a minute. You know, what did you come up with? Hey, try this fingering. What fingering are you using all day? Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's a it's a shame. I think Aaron and I have mostly done this. Our project has stalled because we haven't been practicing regularly mm-hmm. on that. It's not like permanently stalled, has it? No, I don't think so. I, I, hope, I hope not. not. Yeah. Put it on a calendar, man. Yeah, we got to get <laughs> back on it. Yeah. It was seeing Aaron come in this morning. And you could, you could tell he was like furrowed brow, listening to something, getting the guitar out and checking it again. Like, okay, I'm not going to enter into that space because <laughs> his, his wheels were still turning. It was interesting. I, I didn't get ready quite as early as I wanted to. I, I sort of had the uh, the farther up thing, uh-huh. which is a song that goes that Steve and I wrote that goes from five to six back and forth. And then it changes. It's just it's hard to follow. Yeah. Just the, the pattern of the song is hard to follow. And then we're doing this thing. I've mentioned this on this podcast before that is uh, started from a a diddle para, like a paradiddle starting in a different position. And I started writing it. Humphreys remembered. I remembered. Tell, I, last night I told Humphreys this. Do you remember when I first showed you this? And it was back. It had to be six or seven years ago. Oh. And Steve said. <laughs> and I thought he was mildly 
being nice to me. I showed it to him and he goes, he's very, very, you know, careful with his words, sparse. And he said, wow, I've never heard anything like that on Hammer Dulcimer. (laughs) 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 And I wasn't exactly sure what he meant at the time. I think you had walked out of the room when we had talked about clarifying that statement. And one of the things that came up was, oh, no, what I meant was no one should ever hear anything like that on the air Humphreys is pretty competent and knowledgeable. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And when I'm around him, I often think I'm the loud one who's wrong sometimes. Probably are. He's the quiet one who's who's right most of the time, you know. Yeah. But this, this particular piece has gone from being what, Angie heard me practicing this for hours and changing it, you know, five or six years ago. And yeah. she thought it was just a practice piece because it sounded, did sound kind of like scales just to begin with. Cause sure. I was trying to follow something like a Bach etude did. Then it, uh, when Aaron and I started working on it, it changed a lot and it changed, mm-hmm. became a swing piece and like a bebop speed swing piece. And so we're basically calling it suetude now. Yeah. <laughs> sort of what it's become. And, that one's fun. Humphreys is playing trap set on it, Steve. He's good at uh, that. Oh, he's really yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. He plays weekly yeah. in a uh, jazz band on Wednesday nights. I know a professional drummer here in Nashville, and I was telling him about this one record, and he was like, yeah, there's some good drumming on there. And I said, is it just me, or is that drumming like almost perfect? And he looked at me, and he said, mm, it's not, not perfect, but it's good, you know. See, nope. isn't that interesting? That's what happens when you guys play Black Mountain Rag, you know, for a total of 30 or 40 hours. Because the better you get at it, the, the more you notice, oh, I don't quite have this thing right. Well, see, and Aaron talking about Nickel Creek being funky in a little place. But I, with this drummer, I just realized this guy's so good, he's definitely hearing things I don't hear. He's very sensitive, you know. Well, but I, can I, t- I want to tell you, I might be wrong. I'm not trying to say this is the way it is. I'm asking you guys. I hear something like that on the Nickel Creek thing, and mm-hmm. I have this. I see this imaginary conversation going on, where what's what's the guitarist name? Uh, Sean Watkins. Where Sean Sean says, oh, "I'm not really sure. I have that quite right." And Thiele goes, "No, man, that's cool. Don't change anything." I heard and, that too. The engineer's like, "It works, dude. It works." Yeah, oh, and then yeah. I think sometimes that gets just it becomes part of the life of that tune. Right. It does. It becomes a groove element. Uh, but maybe Aaron's not feeling the groove there. <laughs> well, because it's really wrong. You, I mean, one of the <laughs> things that that bugged me a lot listening to other Irish rhythm players was a um, uh, a disregard for the melody and where chords change and where it resolves. And I think for some reason, I don't know, it it just bugs my ear when I hear those little bits of conflict between melody and and. You're backup. a peacemaker. hey do you guys i thought of something recently and i I want to agree with him on that i think aaron is not a peacemaker yeah i I don't i mean i think he's a tonal peacemaker does not i don't no aaron is a tonal peacemaker he's an anarchist no No, i don't agree with either one of those i mean i hate to disagree but of all the people i know that spend time managing consonants and dissonance I would trust Aaron to to do that job well. Well, thanks. Yeah, he. If I'm going to talk like he's not here, though, he's the uh, canary in the coal mine. 
Well, you said that last week, didn't you? Because he was last week too. What does that expression mean? It's it's so so the miners would carry a canary, and if the air turned bad, oh, the canary would die before they would. And canary dies, you get out of the mine. And sometimes all I do is just look at your face. I'm like, canary's about dead. (laughs) 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 This isn't this isn't working. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but sometimes we don't need to look at him. I don't know. I think there's a tendency when two or three, four, whatever people are working on something with the goal to get it done. And, you know, you've got a lot of work and you want to move on that. The the group think that like this is good enough can kick in where everybody is an individual think is thinking maybe this isn't good enough. Yeah, but sometimes sometimes, some, sometimes. Wait, sometimes just looking at another person and realize kind of seeing the same thing on their face. You go like, we're not ready. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Well, sometimes a good coach can look at a football team and he knows they're not ready, but he knows they will be ready, and he keeps his mouth shut. And it's a yeah. kind of it's a good coaching style. I th- I agree with that too. Yeah, I think both of you guys are good at that. Oh, I don't know about that. I want to ask you guys something private. Well, should we not be in front of microphones and on a podcast? Let's just pretend we're not. So listen. <laughs> just between listen. us? I want you to hear this and believe it. And I, I wonder if I'm not remembering correctly or if it's just a coincidence. I want to know if you guys can think back to your performance experiences and tell me if, if, you, if we share this or not. I'm not trying to be gross, but I... I I think it's an interesting thing. I've I have no idea where about. this is going. Can we just guess where this is going? No, uh, no. I, I really want to hear. <laughs> okay, okay. It's going to be so much better than anything I can guess. I can't so, guess. I can, yeah, okay. I've never. And I know I thought of you, Dan, because I know you've had migraine trouble. But I never remember ever having a migraine or a headache on stage. I never, ever remember having stomach cramps on stage. I don't remember ever having to go to the bathroom while being on stage. I've never felt nauseous on stage. I've never felt like vomiting. Maybe before, maybe after. But it seems like the second that I'm on, when I go on that stage and I'm on, I I can't ever remember having any kind of that stuff going on and i wonder if it's a fight or flight thing or your body just knows you don't have time for that but the weird one for me is i never ever remember playing with a headache so do you guys is this just me or what congratulations (laughs) Yes. I mean, I think I can relate to it to some extent in that I know before a concert what it's like to have, you know, various problems. Right. Um, gas. And, uh, I get gas and a then lot right before. As soon as, yeah, as soon as you go on stage, it's like momentum takes over. And I don't even feel um, any problem. Nothing. And it gets yeah. you through it. it. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily take it away. I did play uh, one, one of the most memorable uh, times on stage for me was at the Winston-Salem Festival where I, I was just suddenly in really rough shape and I felt like my voice was disappearing. Yeah. I was having stomach problems and I looked really bad and I, I remember Joshua Messick coming up and going 
hey buddy I just want you to know I put a uh, a bucket on the side of the stage in case it gets oh, real bad gosh. in case you need it <laughs> and being aware that there was a puke bucket on the side of the stage <laughs> made me feel a little worse because really? suddenly I was aware of that yeah. like that this was an option so how did it go uh, um I think it went okay I I didn't do a whole lot of talking um it didn't feel great and uh the last thing I played was hi mom that kind of classical-ish piece and as soon as I started I remember thinking this is a mistake really <laughs> yeah now I've had my fingers be not in shape or worn out and I know that I'm not gonna I don't physically have what I need right now to play the hardest cleanest stuff but I just I like Dan I remember we were in East Lansing fiddle. Michigan 10 pound fiddle gig yeah, and you had a super migraine, right? Oh, it was horrible, yeah. So you were on stage, and you were trying to peer through the migraine to just get the, the job done, or what? Oh, yeah, that was... I mean, I think I remember that being a pretty good concert. I think the uh, the it audience was, was happy. But <laughs> when they clapped, we were like, no, stop, stop. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was hard. I mean, it was just, you wish everybody would turn off the lights. Uh, without just dwelling on migraines, just quickly, as the thing is... They always get worse when you stop whatever. You just, it's like there's this sense of dread with migraines. You know that before this thing's going to get better, you have to sit still and it's going to get worse. It intensifies uh. towards the end. Uh, but the one that was worse than that for me was a kidney stone. In, really? Oh, at Mont Eagle. Yeah, I think I've told this story before. I haven't heard this. The, the really short version is. I wasn't feeling good. Everyone was going to go to lunch, and then the concert was in the afternoon. And I'm on the stage in this great big Decakai hexagon at the Monteagle, not not Monteagle at the uh, Black Mountain Sundays. It's Montreat. That's the name of it. That great big. You guys ever been in that big building? I don't think so, it's but this, I know where Montreat. Is. Yeah, it's outside of Black Mountain. It's just. Isn't it, wasn't building. I there? I no. Anyway. Anyway, and I'm I end up on the floor on the stage throwing up. No one else in the building. Someone wow. comes in and finds me. They want to call an ambulance. I'm like, no, 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 no. I think it's a kidney stone. And The pain oh. made you throw up? Oh, yeah, it does. And then a doctor, the only doctor that was around was a gynecologist. <laughs> so the gyne- I, I, saw a guy, I saw a gynecologist. <laughs> I've always thought right. you needed to see a gynecologist. Yeah. <laughs> he, got me, uh, he got me some medicine, but he said, man, you've either, you know, you got to go to an emergency room, which I was like, I can't do that. I, it's just... At the time, it just were multiple reasons why we couldn't do it, and so I just had to play through the thing in the in the concert in the afternoon. That hurt. I mean, it really hurts. Okay, so you guys don't have this shared experience with me. So my day is coming. I guess. I hope not. You may be healthier than we are. I don't look how you live, and you're still alive. I'd be dead if I lived like you. (laughs) I am a pretty tough dude. No, well, okay. Um, oh, and I, you know, people always say, do you still get nervous? I've found that I only get nervous with stuff that I'm not totally confident about. <laughs> well, I don't, I, obviously I get nervous, and I don't yeah. want to tell the long story about the Stephen Humphreys dream I had the other night. Yeah. Which is the short version Dan of it. Dan has a lot of respect for Stephen Humphrey. <laughs> the short Give version the of PG it. PG version. Well, it was just that 
we did this gig and he was just he did amazing feats of human strength (laughs) (laughs) including a a swan dive off of the stage into a that's awesome it was it was just amazing and it was one of those dreams that was so clear you know when i was waking up in the morning you know you know that feeling where you're thinking wow i can't believe that really happened can't believe that really happened and your mind finally comes together and you go Oh, good. That didn't really happen. (laughs) It was one of those. And clearly, that was nerves. I'm like, okay. It's like what you said earlier, Steve. Playing with people that are better than you pushes you. And it's good for you. It ought to be good for you if your attitude's right. Yeah. I just want some sympathy. I'll hook Uh, you up. I... Uh, so somebody <laughs> what? Write, uh, sympathy. So these orchestra pieces, man. <coughs> the first time you perform one, no, oh, yeah, it's almost like I can't get my head around really practicing it until I've had that first rehearsal with the orchestra because then I kind of know what I need to practice. Yeah. So I know the first rehearsal is going to be embarrassing, but I need it. I need to get in there and see what what the deal is because. Huh. You're not even sure of a lot of the, the tempos and the, the different parts. Anyway, so then a lot of these orchestras, you get two or three rehearsals. That's it. Short. Yeah, I'm going to take back something I said. I said Steve was better than me. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stick with that because I think it's inaccurate in that Steve we all – Humphreys. I think we all have these potential, these, you know, these possibilities – and it's what you're practiced up for. Right. And that was that was really making the same mistake that we complain about all the time. Yeah. It's just that he's put in the work on things. I've put in work on other things that Steve doesn't do, you know? So, yeah. How did we... Yeah, I was, what, what is this new topic? How we jump topics? No, it's I was, not. I yeah. was just saying being nervous. I was thinking about this on the walkover because I've mostly just been stressing about uh, flat picking nervous. guitar. Um, yeah, it's true, Steve. At that speed, and I remember um, uh, Brian Sutton, who's a great flat pick guitar player. Pretty clean, does, right? Yeah, he does tons of session work in Nashville. Um, but he said in an interview at some point, or maybe it was one of those guitar workshops where a good workshop is them. You know, this famous flat picker talking about his mom, and uh, and everyone walks away thinking, "I learned a lot." <laughs> But, uh, but someone did did ask him like uh, about playing fast, and he and he said something along the lines of, uh, "Well, I can tell you right now that if I knew I was going on tour with Ricky Skaggs, I would have to work back up to that speed, and it would take me a few weeks." And, He's going to uh, have to work up to it. Yeah, work up to that speed at a constant for an entire show. And I remember thinking, "Whoa, well." If, brian sutton (laughs) but at the same time i know for myself whenever i can't do something which is i feel like i spend a lot of time not being able to play the things that i'm trying to write and arrange i know that it comes to place uh eventually bringing that mindset to another instrument uh using a technique that i don't use a lot on that instrument Felt like there was a little bit of an extra wall there. Sure. But, but that I, wall wouldn't be there if you had practiced through it. No, not at all. That's right. Yeah. So please, but, dear listener, 
be it hammered or mountain dulcimer, the technique stuff that your teachers, assuming that your teachers are teaching you right, the things that you're telling you to do that don't feel right, those are the things you need to practice. We hit this a couple of weeks ago, but that just hasn't left my mind that the only way you get good at anything is playing what makes you uncomfortable. I know. My students are often like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm just having trouble doing this. And I'm always like, I keep telling you, we're doing the things that you have trouble doing. You're normal. That's the whole reason we're doing this exercise is because I need you to walk through the garden of trouble (laughs) and I will help you get to the other side. We're going to visit your trouble spots. You know, you're not particularly more screwed up than the rest of us. I've chosen these things because, I mean, it's just, I know what it's like to be on the other side of this, to be on the receiving end, but Steve, do you know what the... Do you know what the Dunning-Kruger effect is? Um, Isn't that a type of waffle iron? No, I'm serious. This is one that we all ought to keep in mind. And and you'll pick up the irony in this thing. But that the Dunning-Kruger effect is just simply a study that's been done and replicated where the people who are the least knowledgeable are often the most confident. The people who are the most knowledgeable tend to underestimate their competence. I think that oh, study yeah. was ran by people who were not very confident. Well, well, an unscientific um, study <laughs> uh, or just an observation. Anywhere, any festival I've been to where a class is expected to perform, the best players in that class consistently are the ones that don't want to perform. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're right about that. Yeah. The best players are the ones that are like, I don't know that I want to do this. So they're like, I don't feel like I'm ready. Well, that's my point. I think yeah, the Dunning, exactly. you really ought to look up the Dunning-Kruger effect because it's fascinating. But the irony is, is that when you, you're like, so I understand the Dunning-Kruger effect. All right. So now where does that put you? <laughs> that, yeah. But also when I get out there, there's times I'm confident. So maybe I'm. Well, this is maybe a different thing. What I want to get to, though, is I think that applies musically and being practicing in that area where you know you're not comfortable is the antidote to this thing. Because it just keeps you go, no, I'm not any good at this, so I'm going to do it. I know I'm not any good at it. And that's, I believe, and I've read enough stuff that, you know, makes me believe that that's the key is that you practice what you're really not good at and you always make yourself uncomfortable when you're practicing. And well, see, I don't always practice what I'm not good at. Like, I like to reward well, myself. Yeah. Nothing's and I always. like to have some serious pleasure time. But yeah, there's always... You know, I would even say when I'm doing my job, when I'm practicing well, probably 30% of my time is spent on the things that I'm really uncomfortable with. And the rest of it is me really just enjoying music. That's just my personal percentages. But the yesterday I was practicing the, that A sharp, D sharp, G sharp, G sharp, F sharp, especially. Can um, we stay on this point for a minute? Before and you my go. point is, on this point, Mr. <laughs> my point is, now I can't remember what I'm talking about. You were practicing that E sharp, F sharp. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. My brain is screaming. It, it actually feels like I'm being tortured and I'm submitting to that 
and but I feel like I'm making an investment in my future because there's huge dividends to be paid on that kind of stuff. Is it possible though that that I was on the right point? <laughs> no, okay, I'm not. I'm going. not disagreeing with your keep point. Going. I'm just thinking out loud. Is it possible that we're talking about two different uses for okay. these skills that we've that we're trying to acquire? One is practice, and one is perfectly fine thing where you are entertaining yourself. I mean, you, well, it's we're okay. mostly talking about doing the uncomfortable practice things. That's no, but you talking. said sometimes you just want to play the music because you enjoy the music. I think that's no, 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 perfectly no. I, fine. I, part, I, part, I intentionally make sure that a percentage of my practice time is that because I've. it seems that that keeps me going. It's just my personal need, and it allows me to do the uncomfortable stuff. We've talked about this for years, Steve. That applies to every area in life. I don't even know what we're – I'm not arguing. I don't know what you're talking about at all. Okay. Come on, hit me. I don't want to hit you. No, I mean with an idea. Come on, well, metaphor. But I think comment. that is the idea, is that enjoying what you do is kind of if, – if, if you spent all your time enjoying what you do, you're probably not really practicing. Well, I mean, you can enjoy being a that's bit right. uncomfortable. That's, that's right. I mean, that's, that's the space you want to get to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. But it's it, different. To me, I mean, it's so exciting seeing and feeling progress. That's right. Uh, being made. But see, oh, that's. It is great. At that point, you're focused on form. Mm -hmm. And this, it's sorry, but you've found a method, an epistemic method for improvement, you know, that works. That you can't necessarily see at work until you do see it work, but you're always still up against this wall of things that you can't do. You're you're always trying to just push push through walk through that garden, like you said, Steve, of difficulty. Not that's the, what you do all the time, but there's always thicker briars in the garden for you to get to. And that's right. like what you were saying, even when uh, you mentioned the guy who said, nah, it, I could do that, but it would take me a little while to get back to that speed again. Yeah. See, I think it's like the color yellow. And when you're dealing <laughs> with bananas, and there's not just real bananas that you eat. There's the plastic bananas. There's banana-type audio cables, if you guys are familiar with those. And the Stop yellow. It. The sun is not yellow, technically. You've done well, so well there's some yellow today. in it. I know. Uh. <laughs> well, my epistemiology is screwed up, so, you know. Wow. Did I even say that word right? I don't think so, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> it just, sounds like a duck. You know what I think yeah, we've done? What I think we've gotten to is interesting because we're talking about being uncomfortable a little bit. And we're talking about practice and how each one of us maybe sees and experiences and, and kind of throws ourselves into that uncomfortableness. Not as and, much uh, as I pretend like I do. Well, but this is an interesting, <laughs> this is an interesting inner sanctum kind of thing here. Yeah. Well, I, I think we're, we talk about this basically all the time. We do. I don't yeah. even talk to you much. Like, well, on this podcast, we tend to come back to this subject a lot, and which is okay. I'm going to say which is okay because it's at the core of what you do to get better at something but what's the subject what the methodology is for getting better yeah you know you're actually studying the method right 
And just like epistemic method, which has to do with determining truth, this method that we're trying to get to for determining what shows improvement, there are some methods that would be better than others. And that's always a good starting place to say, is this method a good method? Does somebody else have a good method? And that's why we read books and you read Zen in the art of, you know, and art it of motorcycle on the maintenance. Person and, because we're different. Our brains Exactly. I agree completely. Yeah. But you do find some things. I think one things, reason we talk about it is I think about it all the time. Well, it, it tends to push me back to doing good work. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've gone back to the uh, thinking about the New Year's podcast that we did. Not uh, resolutions, but aspirations. aspirations. Yeah. And one of the things I talked about was I think I want to make more time to just play stuff that I'm comfortable with. And I've not been motivated to do oh, that. Oh, I forgot so I've, about I've that. already... Yeah, I've already kind of bailed on that New Year's yeah, aspiration. An aspiration, <laughs> you're allowed to bail. Yeah, <laughs> but at the time you were feeling a need for a little bit of rest or something, or settling, or what? Yeah, I mean, I think I tried it for a little bit, but it doesn't really it doesn't make me happy wow. in the same way that making progress and taking my ear by surprise. Does. I like I like I said. I mean, I don't. I've never measured this, but like sixty percent. And yes, I'm okay. Sixty three point three three percent. I think it's three three nine. Is enjoying myself, and about thirty three point three percent is that kind of uncomfortable pressing into working. Yeah, see, that's what I do when I'm enjoying myself. Yeah, I think. Well, I I enjoy all of that, but that's my particular percentages. Maybe I sh- should change that, but that's my been my track record, you know. But other people may be different, and it may depend on if there's an orchestra gig coming up. It may change all of that. The context matters. See, I've never actually had one of those orchestra gigs. Well, I need to get you one. No, but you I'm don't have, have to. to. That's kind of, oh, but when I you guys should. talk about it, it sounds scary, and it makes me really wish I had an orchestra gig. It's well, scary. Yeah, I think it's good <laughs> to have done a few times. Yeah? Yeah, because it it's one of the harder, scarier things I've ever done. Ever. <laughs> But I was wondering as you wrapped your arms around the conductor. What was wrong. <laughs> I'm so glad this is over. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm going to remember that for a long time. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. This is better. Okay. The thing yeah. I hate, the thing I hate the most, and, and it's I appreciate their um, kindness, but there is a tradition in orchestras where Damn. after the first playthrough, after the first, after you've kind of go through it the first time with the orchestra and rehearsal, um, you know, it's like at the end of that, everybody claps or maybe at yeah. the end of the rehearsal, they, they basically just say, you did a great job. And I've had that happen when I've done a terrible job. I, I'm not talking yeah. just, so it's kind of like a tradition to just be polite like that. And so yeah. I dread that in that first rehearsal. And, and you also don't want to stand up and say, I did terrible. Please stop. You know, you just have to say thank you. Yeah. And they the... know you did a bad job and you know you did and they're <laughs> clapping and you're saying thank you. It's, <laughs> I, I, it's very awkward and I appreciate their effort. I want to share a wave of fear that just came across me. All right. Uh, uh, I think one of the worst things we could do is become more interested in talking about the right ways to practice. 
than actually practicing. Mm, well, let's do a little of both, maybe. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just it comes it comes up a lot, and every time it comes up, you know, it, it, if you if you're feeling like, oh, that's right, I enjoy that. That's good. That's the right method. I need to be doing that on a regular basis. If you have that feeling every time, it means you're not really doing it. You're just talking about it. Yeah, well, and, I, I think we yeah. tend to talk about it when one of us is actually practicing. That is true. That's kind of where this thing started because well, we are working. In, you know, and when I hear that you guys are working on something, I get in the mood. Another part that we I don't think we address very often is that I think for me, some of the most important practicing happens away from the instrument. Like this oh, morning totally. when I came in and I was listening, totally. just listening to that clip. But before I was listening to that clip, in my mind, when I was walking over here, I had I was playing it just in my head. And Absolutely. I could slow it down and speed it up That's to whatever speed I wanted to and so pick it good. apart that way. And um, You could not be creating that if that hadn't been injected into you already, though. I mean, you you've already done some work. Well, yeah. Yeah. So I just well, I, that is part of the process, but you no, still you can do practice in your head no matter how little work you've done. You can always practice. Well, I mean, there's still that thing that walking into a McDonald's does not make you a hamburger. Referencing McDonald's That's... does not make the point true. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Steve. That was awesome. <laughs> I love practicing in my head, and let's just talk about Steve's shower time. This is where everybody turns. Oh yeah, I, I not that when I've I'm been in the to shower, Steve's shower time, but yes, I agree. Yesterday, I'm not leaving. E guys flat, alone. A flat, D no. flat, G flat. You know, I was. And it's really cool because here's what I love about practice in my head. I, I can sometimes let something go that, and if I physically had the instrument in my hand, I'd have to be attentive to it. So, for instance, in the shower, <laughs> I'm envisioning where my hand is going to be on the dulcimer for E flat. And I'm just pretending that I'm kicking butt there, playing all kinds of licks, all kinds of cool cross pick stuff. And then I think of the next E-flat place or an A-flat place or a G-flat place. So, I don't know. It seems to free my mind a little to almost pretend I'm kicking butt. But at the same time, I'm highly focused on these different zones on the instrument. Then when I come back to the instrument, I know I'm better. I know I'm better at jumping to those spots. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's like being in love. Really in the, infatu- in the shower. <laughs> like really no, seriously, about really infatuated passionately in love. And all you can do is think about that person. You know? Wanting wanting <laughs> to be with that person. And seriously, it's like when I went into bananas or what are we talking about here? No, it's like when you really are trying to learn an instrument. When you're seriously when you start doing the visualization. Oh thing. yeah, you're uh-huh. in love, you're saying yeah, because yeah. that's that's also been borne out that people who visualize practicing free throws get better at free throws more than people who don't visualize practicing free throw free throws if they've had the same amount of training because it it does engage the mind yeah another part to that uh free throw maybe this was a different study on elite free throw shooters was uh when when they didn't make it that was the big difference between the elite free throw shooters and the ones who were not in that elite category and that the ones who were not were prone to when asked why they didn't make it, they were prone to saying things like I suck or 
I just need to practice more. And the elite free throw shooters would say things specifically like, I think I dropped my elbows uh, yeah. when I when I went for that, or I didn't I didn't like. I think my wrist was actually a little out of position yeah. on that one. Do you know that the best free throw shooter uh, in the in the country, probably in the world, is somebody who this doesn't play basketball? No, but that I, that makes Wait, sense. I what guess did, what What'd the you best say? free throw shooter known. Who, who wins all the contests with the highest hit percentage is somebody who doesn't even play basketball. And but he clearly does a lot of free throws. He's into it. And so, which I think is an interesting point in all this. You can get just like really focused on one thing and kind, right. of, kind of miss it. Oh, that's really interesting. But you know what's even crazier to me is how in the fifth or sixth grade, I first heard about free throws and how many players have a ritual of movements and thoughts they do before they shoot. And that had a huge impact on me all these years, believe it or not. And then to hear you guys talking about free throws like you've thought about it, that's just interesting. I don't talk about my free throw fascination very often. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's... Uh... <laughs> A difference in that is because that's there's a metric there. I mean, you know if you're getting better at free throws because your percentage goes from 40 mm-hmm. to 42 percent. It's hard for us to do that. We yeah. can like say, all right, I can do this at 220 beats per minute, and I used to only be able to do it at 205. I think metrics like that when you're practicing are actually really good for you, and that's okay. Well, it's I think it's harder to quantify that too because as you as you get better, you start to hear things that you didn't hear before. That's right. Um, as you're able to relax and get more comfortable, you can hear more more of those if flubbed you, notes that didn't stick out to you before. Right. Yeah. When you look at your audience and they appear listless, <laughs> and and they're checking their watch, and they're looking down at their phone. And their their applause lasts for all of six seconds, and there's not much going on there. That doesn't necessarily mean you're boring, <laughs> but I often think what a great piece of feedback. Because what I really want, if I'm doing a good job, and I could be wrong, but I think if I'm doing a good job, when I get done with the tune, I'm going to look out there and I'm going to see excited faces, you know, and I just don't. When the faces stop being excited, I want to notice that, you know. For me, that's the the metrics that I kind of go by. Now, somebody might say, yeah, whatever, you should be playing more for yourself. Yeah, well, I care about Mm -hmm. what they're thinking. So you were saying that we don't really have stats on ourselves that we can, but I think the audience is one heck of a good stat. Now, oh, if you're playing Bach yeah. for a group of heavy metal people, maybe they're not into Bach. I get that. I think that you'd, you're likely to get a good response uh, I still playing think Bach for heavy metal people. I think so. What if you're playing heavy metal for Bach people? <laughs> yeah, probably not. Yeah. It doesn't work in the reverse, I don't think, quite as well. But here's, an, here's another side to that, um, th- that actually you you've already kind of touched on but um that by judging audiences that seems like that's kind of a metric that's changing based on personal preference i think so and circumstance as well 
Hey, you know a good way to interrupt Aaron's cool topic here is to bring in a small child and let's wrap up the podcast with a child. Who is that? Hey, this is Gwen. Hey, Gwen. Uh, hello, Gwen. She may not speak. She's looking at me real skeptically right now. She might. Hey, Gwen. She sees Steve over on the (laughs) iPad. Yeah. That's why I went to get her as a way to signal to you guys that. Steve, you're doing a great job, but she is a tough audience. She is. She'll warm up. She looks listless. (laughs) (laughs) Entertainer. Gwen, can you say hi? Can you say Baba? (laughs) Gwen, Aaron just proposed that the audience is perhaps are changing a, i don't know that sounds like another podcast oh really a shifting metric if you will a if you're using metric. the audience as a metric it is a metric it's it a, is a uh, metric it is but but the thing about a metric is it's something that's re- repeatable and i maybe that's what you're saying yeah yeah because it changes all the time mm-hmm. it's a tough one now if you took 200 performances and you measured I mean, I'm being serious. 200 performances, you measured the length of the applause, and you had somebody looking at the whether or not the audience was appeared to be engaged or appeared to be looking down. You could probably come up with something over time, but you could really have a bad sampling error if you had a bad gig mm-hmm. and said, oh, people don't like what I do off of a bad gig, because there could be something happening that's distracting everyone that you don't even know. You know? I'm just excited about being honest about when we bore an audience. I think I don't want to live in a pretend land where I, think I don't ever see yeah. that. Well, hmm. I don't. Uh, this might be a bad place to go. Never mind. Because of hmm? Gwen, does she speak English yet? She is looking at me she's, like she's, she's like you're a you, few months old. <laughs> don't you talk about controversial topics on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh, is that where you're going? Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's oh a great boy. way to end. Be controversial. It is a good way to end. What is okay. it? All right. We can do that. Let's don't do it now. I'm holding a beautiful baby girl who's my buddy. And she has, She does have the most skeptical eyes, doesn't she? She's. She d- it's, yeah. She's, Every time she looks over, I get this like, don't talk about that. Yeah, not cynical. Like, she's not yeah. cynical. She's, she's like... I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. Gwen, can you say bye? Let me try to look. Nope, she's staring at Steve. (laughs) She's looking at Steve on the iPad. Goodbye, Gwen.